Yeah, so one of my big questions is I'm traveling to Thailand next month. Actually, it's this month, <gasps> September now. And I, I have never traveled to a place where the characters were not Latin, English, whatever. Like, you know, like they're completely different <laughs> character set and different language. And so I just went to Spain um, and my wife speaks some Spanish. And I was like, I was able to get around a little bit there and I at least could read some of the signs. I know a little Spanish living in Southern California. Very different Spanish in Spain. But I figured out enough that I wasn't like... I, I just feel like I'm going to get lost and I'm going to Thailand this month and, and Dubai next month. And I'm just like, in both cases, I'm like, I am a little bit worried. Um, okay. Uh, I'm not sure. This is, this is different than what I thought you were going to. We can talk, talk about, about whatever, but I just, I want to pick your brain <laughs> on that first. Cause I know you've traveled a lot more than I have. <laughs> uh, specifically Thailand. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, so actually there, um, there are apps you can download beforehand that help you translate uh, signs if they're not in English. I would actually try to prep that ahead of time. Because right. especially if you don't have internet, uh, it can be hard. Right. And I did, I did download like Google Translate, Apple Translate. Both have options for like voice. Um, I know there's ones that do text too, I think. I forget what the Google one is, but yeah, you can point it at it and you can download the language offline. And I also verified that my uh, Google Fi has coverage in Thailand. Mm. I don't know what the coverage map is like, but I know I don't need another SIM card or anything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely download the offline uh, offline map on Google Maps, right? Uh, that's something I, def- I definitely do. Try to zoom in and um, yeah, you can, you can sort of pre-download Google Maps. Right. So if, even if you're offline, you can get yourself around because uh, GPS is, should work anywhere. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I feel like, look, like if you're in a major city, you should be able to like speak English most places you go. Um, especially like Thailand being a sort of tourist-friendly area. Uh, just be careful, you know, with your wallet, and you know, bargain a little bit when you <laughs> when you're buying stuff. But uh, I don't have any other tips uh, about that. I wasn't. Yeah, I, oh, I haven't. Fine. I haven't done that in a while. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've only been overseas twice in my life now. I was like, really? Spain Spain was earlier this year, and London was like a couple years before that. It was like right before COVID. So I yeah. never traveled over. I didn't travel much as a kid, and <laughs> this is all still new to me. My, um, so how long is the flight? The whole travel time is like 25 hours. Jesus. Because um, it has, both of them have like four and six hour delay, uh, layovers. One in Tokyo and one in Seoul. Oh, right, right, right. Well, yeah, you know, so uh, one of the very basic things with changing time zones is try to live on the destination time zone uh, as early as possible, right? So to reduce jet lag. Um, yeah, and that's what I'm actually planning on starting next week, basically, is because uh, I leave in two weeks. And I'm like, oh, if I can, there's actually apps that will help you train that. They, they like bump up your sleep <laughs> schedule by like an hour or two every night. And they just yeah. like, oh, you know, then you're you're ready for it. Um, yeah. And Thailand, I'm I'm gonna stay for it's. I'll be there for like ten days. Uh, oh. Dubai, Dubai, I'm only gonna be there for two days. So I'm like, it's not even really worth. Yeah, it's not worth it. Yeah, switching any ske- sleep schedule. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, Thailand sounds like um, you know, it's it's worth a little bit more investment. Um, typically, there's a there's a stress between. Oh my god, why do I know this? Okay, let me give you my a bit of my authority on this matter. Um, I live in Singapore. My family is in Singapore. 
And I've been commuting to the U.S. on and off since 2007 when I first came to the U.S. for college. Um, so what what is that, like four, 15 years of time travel, time zone shifting? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's my that's my perspective. Um, there's there's like, you know, do you stay up to to catch up the time or do you sleep earlier? And I always find it harder to sleep earlier. So I just stay up. Um, but yeah, your mileage may vary on that one. <laughs> yeah, I typically would, would stay up, although I am, I can never sleep on planes. And so I am probably getting some melatonin or something so I can sleep because that's a 25 yeah, yeah. hours of travel. Oh, like, oh, that's not yeah. possible. <laughs> yeah. I, so I use a sleep mask, um, just get like a random, like $3 sleep mask from Amazon. And then, um, I also use, um, noise canceling AirPods, the, the AirPods pro. Um, yeah, usually that's good enough. Yeah. Yeah, and I have just, my my Sony's have noise canceling, so the, and those fit over ears, so a little more comfortable too, which probably will help. Oh yeah, that's great. I left one of those. I, I used to have like the QC thirty fives or whatever, uh, and I left those on the plane, so I never saw them again. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What else? Uh, so and and then I I usually went back and forth between like uh, window and aisle. Um, I've recently gravitated towards window strongly. Um, I used to want, I used to like aisle just cause I could get up faster and, uh, get off the plane faster, go to the bathroom whenever I wanted all that stuff, but everything is outmatched by being window and being able to rest your head on the window. So you can sleep on it. <laughs> you can sleep better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, no, that is, I'm, yeah. I am 100% window person and I am not at all ashamed of asking someone to get up so I can go to the bathroom. Like, I know that's, a, so some people, it's like, that's not, you know, okay. And I'm, no, no, no. If I'm going to go pee, like, you're going to get out. I'm sorry. Like, it's, I'm not doing it here. So, um, I'm not ashamed to do that. Oh, <laughs> but I, I, I go, I go so, I go so out of my way. Um, I will step on the, 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 the handles, like the, the seat, uh, rest. The armrest. Yeah. The armrest. And it never works, but I always try. <laughs> <laughs> it never works. Um, but anyway, I think people appreciate that I try. <laughs> um yeah what what else um i don't know like you know pe like uh make make sure to check your atm uh, uh password you know because you might be called you, you might have to pull it uh pull cash at any point um like my, you... my my trade my craziest travel story was uh coming back from europe uh last year and getting locked out of the u.s because of trump's travel ban um because uh yeah, because they, they weren't letting non-citizens in from Europe. Oh, what would you just, were so, you just in a hotel for a month? Uh, and you can't be in the, you can't be in the, the, the United States for a hotel. But yes, uh, 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 they forced you to buy a ticket uh, to somewhere and, uh, you know, they, they let you choose where, but I, choose, I chose Mexico. Uh, and I camped out in Mexico City for two weeks. So it's like, yeah, even though I was completely vaccinated, I had a negative test uh, because of the travel ban. I had to do that. And when I got to Mexico City, I hadn't used the ATM in so long. Um, none of my ATM cards worked. Right. So if you're if you're stuck in Mexico City, which, by the way, is a majority cash country and you need cash and you don't have a working ATM card, what do you do? <laughs> it, this took me a while to figure out. I, I just want to see I just want to see what, what yeah. your tra travel IQ is. <laughs> yeah no i mean like i i do use my atm regularly enough to get cash for some things yeah. um but but i don't even yeah 
what's your mental catalog of like options you have? <laughs> I mean, like a Western Union, if I can call someone, right? Like, is there is there a way for me to get like take out cash for someone to wire uh, it to me? I didn't. I didn't see. I didn't. Yeah, that's probably an option. If I, I didn't see a Western Union uh, in Mexico City, but I wasn't looking for one. But yeah, that that's probably a good option. Um, the option I I ended up choosing. I had a working credit card. Um, and uh, if how to get how do you get cash out of a credit card? You go to a hotel. Uh, most hotels. This is like a legacy travel thing. They'll they'll add charges to your hotel bill, which you can pay by credit card, and they'll give you cash. Um, for a fifteen percent, um, you know, cut. It's daylight robbery, but but that's if you're in it. If you're in, if you're in that situation, <laughs> yeah, it's it's wow, good to know a, that's a yeah. source of cash, basically. Huh. Good to know. Yeah, um, that's that's my hot tip. I I honestly like I'm trying not to, uh, I don't know, be I'm not trying not to travel so much. So um, yeah, it's it's. <laughs> What else, hmm, tip wise? I don't know. I'm, I'm traveling quite a bit, um, but I mean, even like, what is what is traveling not much to you? Because for me, it's yeah, like yeah. not yeah, this is traveling time at all. Overseas, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, like, obviously, the Devrel life. Um, you know, you're not required to travel, but it can be nice, and it's very flattering for someone to offer to pay a pay for a ticket for you to you know cross this cross the the Atlantic. Um, so not traveling much would be maybe like five international conferences a year. Um, uh, maybe, maybe three, three to five, let's just say. Um, wow. Uh, it's just for, for what it's worth, my first year at, at Nellify, I think I spoke at like 30 events and um, I went to like, yeah, like I, I went, I went to a lot of places. I went to Hawaii. I went to, um, uh, Mexico, I went to, um, you know, a couple of places in Europe, like, yeah, a bunch of like, I, I felt like that was definitely excessive. Uh, and we essentially had a blank check to, to buy our own flights and stuff. So uh, I definitely took advantage of that. Then it becomes a chore. And then you're like, actually, I, I need to put down roots. So maybe I shouldn't travel so much. <laughs> nope. um, so yeah, anyway, um, yeah, travel tips. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I'm traveling, I feel like I'm traveling a lot this year, and that means three international trips. And yeah. so, like, that that gauge is different for everyone. And I, I didn't start DevRel until 2020, literally March of, April of 2020 when COVID happened. Yeah. And and so, like, I just never traveled, and I've just been doing videos and streams and remote conferences, and yeah, and that's been sense. fine. Um, yeah. And, and I, I, I like that. When I was interviewing before COVID happened, I was very adamant about not traveling a lot because I had a, a one-year-old at the time. And, yeah, and I was like, I'm not, I was like, can I not travel and do this job? And they said, yes. And so I was like, great. But then, then we can talk, but everyone else I talked to, especially smaller companies, they all required lots of travel because you are such a integral part of marketing. They just need you to go out there and tell people about, you know, the company and what you do and all that stuff and face to face and trusts and all that stuff required a lot more travel. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, maybe maybe the meta the the real meta question is uh you know what is the purpose of international travel for conferences um because it's a very expensive way and not not so ecologically friendly way to uh, meet potential you know customers and stuff um I don't know so so my my view is basically it's a it's a very high production value YouTube video 
<laughs> at the end of the day that's the artifact that you were left with also you have the experience of like being exposed to different countries and stuff um it's it is nice to have let, let's say like a really long-term fan of your work uh to have them meet you in person um uh, because that creates a whole new relationship that is uh you know like you've, you've met them and and uh and it, it really helps to inform it, it, and it gets you motivated as well as a creator to to know that your work has impacts right it's not just a faceless view number on on, on something that you did um it these are real people making real decisions in their companies uh they have they have unanswered questions that you they never thought about it's just really cool to to just meet them in person yeah i do wonder though like numbers wise like we're just playing a numbers game of like going to, traveling to a conference and you're going to get 500 maybe a thousand people to you know see you in person or hear about what you said and, and learn from you just a little bit and then to that other side like you just said like a youtube video i mean if i'm gonna spend let's say <laughs> let's say you know three thousand dollars traveling which is on the low end of anything um as far as like hotel and food and everything else like that's not including conference tickets assuming you're speaking like you could for three thousand dollars like how much could you do on youtube like even just paying ads for more people to see it like dollar for dollar if you want eyeballs <laughs> exactly right youtube is way better <laughs> it's yeah. just like way more yeah. uh you know friendly but like going places and, and talking to people face to face i i learn a lot more about like the constraints that they're dealing with that i couldn't have got from a youtube comment yeah. and i couldn't have understood what it was like for them in their company doing the things they're doing and trying to you know, meet their goals. And I'm like over here, just like, Oh, just use this service. And like, no, you don't understand like that service isn't in this region or we don't have IM access or whatever reasons behind it. Like that's just not possible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, could say it better myself. <laughs> um, I, I, I do, I do think it means that you want to have a, you want to land of, of the plan for getting people down the funnel. Right. Because yes, it's a smaller number of people that you're essentially reaching, but it's face to face. It's in person, so you know you can get them further down the funnel, and it'll still be worth it. Um, one of my favorite memories is running a fifty person workshop um, for four hours at a, at an in person conference I did in Singapore, and that was great. You know, better than speaking to five hundred people, uh, better than speaking to five thousand. Like I, I had people hands on keyboard for four hours. That's that's more engagement than, than you get any, anywhere else. Like, you can't pay for that. So, <laughs> you also seem to pack your travel at least from from looking from the outside like when you're going to go somewhere you try to oh, meet yeah. up or you try to get people just like hey i'm going to be in this area for 48 hours yeah how how do you go about like bringing more people there is it just because you have a twitter following and you have people that know you pretty or do you reach out to meetups or something else uh, yeah pretty, uh, i did do i did do a bit of that so early on i would actually reach out to boot camps and say hey i'm going to be in town do you are you looking for a speaker Usually it'll say yes. Um, I've also done that for for meetups. Um, so you know the React NYC meetup that I did recently. Um, I said I was, I was going to be in town, and and they organized one around me, which is great. So uh, then I, then I gave the Bun versus Deno talk. Um, and then for the other stuff, um, I actually wrote a blog post on this about manifesting a meetup, which I really like that title because manifesting is this sort of new age hippie thing, and I'm co opting that for for DevRel purposes. <laughs> uh, so I did one in New York um, and in London recently, and yeah, it's it's so weird that at some certain size of Twitter following, you can actually have a meetup that's about that where people the only thing people have have in common is that they know who you are. Um, 
like people want meetups anyway so you're just providing a venue like it's not really you at the center of it you're just the, the excuse for things like you mentioned boot camps i never thought to reach out to boot camps or oh, what yeah. sort of things are they looking for a speaker to come talk about anything dude you have so much experience <laughs> like Just the fact that they, they could not give two shits what you actually do. Just the fact that you come from Amazon, they're like, whoa, you know, like it, it's so cool already. And it's, it's, it's like everything you take for granted is going to be new for them. Um, and so I, I just think I just think like, yeah, you could you could you could talk about anything and it was still and it's going to work. Um, I, I'm trying to find my manifesting meetups blog post, but I, I couldn't find it on, on Twitter. I have to find it on my personal site. But yeah, so uh, one of my favorite talks, actually. So, yes, of course, you can go and pitch. AWS, you can talk about you know, things you work on, but boot campers need more general advice than that, right? So the best advice is stuff I wish I knew. Basically mm. that. Um, do you know Lori Voss? He's a Seldo on Twitter. Um, the, yeah, the name. So he does, he does this talk on yeah, databases. And he's not a database guy. He's used databases a lot. Oh, it's okay. So my, my blog post is called How to Manifest the Meetup. I've just pinned it to this Twitter space. Oh. How to Manifest the Meetup. So, yeah. Um, and he's, he's got this like two part talk. He's got lots of data and he just travels around different boot camps doing that talk. And I like that idea as well. Like to develop a talk that you don't come up with on the fly, you just build it over time. And it's the same talk, but you just keep tacking on data, insights, quotes, whatever, uh, personal anecdotes, stories, whatever, until it becomes. the most epic talk ever. Um, and I like that cumulative advantage to talks because most talks that I do or most talks that, you know, I, I don't know about you, but most talks that I do are, are sprints. Like, like, oh, I signed up to do, you know, a talk on a specific topic. Um, I, you know, leave it to the last minute. And then, you know, the week before I'll, I'll, I'll put everything together. And then once the talk is over and done with, I move on to the next topic. That's fine, but you're never going to have as good a talk as something that you worked on every month for five years. Uh, which is essentially what Laurie did. Hmm. And my my personal historic rule around talks was I would do them until they were recorded, um, right. and I used to do them for you know meetups or for local you know just like remote things that weren't well attended. You know, if it was like under twenty or forty people, I just I would oh, yeah. keep doing the talk until it was recorded <laughs> and available at like a larger <laughs> conference or something, and yeah. I. I guess I used to work reverse to what you were doing where you were going to a conference and you started meetups. I would go find meetups to go to, to allow me to get to the conference because my old company wouldn't pay for me to go to conferences. Yeah. So I had to get sponsorship to go to meetups um, via either the meetup group or some way to like get the travel um, to go. And then I would also go to the conference because I was, Oh, Hey, I'm here. Um, and so I would like reverse that. Um, but now And so I would give the talks at like those smaller meetups and, and then I'm like, okay, cool. Now I'm at the conference. Um, but now actually my trip to Thailand is literally because I got invited to give a talk I just gave in Thailand and they say, Hey, we want you to come do that again. And, and so this will actually be my second time doing it. It's still not recorded. And I pitched the same talk for a conference next year that will be recorded. And so I kind of go into that stage of like, I'm probably going to do a talk, you know, at least three times at some point it'll be recorded. And then I kind of move on after that. But I, I do like that. Kind uh, of, you can grow that over time still. Do you have, okay. What do you do when it, once it's recorded and up, do you have a personal site where you collect all this? Uh, I used to collect them in a GitHub repo, uh -huh, uh -huh. all of my talks, all of my podcasts, my talks, um, things like that of me publicly being available. Um, I used to put them in GitHub and I yeah, referenced it on, I see know, like it, speaking.md. Yeah.
Um, so I would do it there. I haven't done it for years uh, yeah. just because there was too many <laughs> and I just stopped. It was, oh. it was too much. It was too much to track. And so I, how fancy you are too many. Let me, okay. Right. <laughs> let, I'm just me, lazy to do it. I just didn't want to track all of it. Uh, let me show you my talks about YAML. <laughs> <laughs> right, and again, I, I think, me, yeah. me, a lot of speaking is three international talks a year. So <laughs> I don't know how you did 30. No, I, I'm just like, you know, this is your portfolio. This is, you, you gotta, you gotta collect this. I don't know. Um, how do I, how do I add this to, okay. You gotta tweet something My first. You gotta tweet it before you pin it. Yeah, Mo. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you want to collect it. You want, um, so I, I do a couple of things depending on the quality of the talk, right? Uh, at minimum, everything should be findable from your website, um, indexable, whatever. Even even if it's just that you might need to look it up in the future, um, it's, it's it's good reference. But then also, you know, people who follow you have one source of truth to to look up to subscribe to. Um, I mean, to me, it, it just makes sense. Like that that that's something that you want to provide for yourself and for your biggest fans. Uh, second of all. For the really good talks, I actually rip them from their site, uh, so you can go to like YouTube DL and like mm-hmm. um, download the video and rehost them on my personal YouTube, with the intent that all these conference YouTubes are terrible. Usually, the media yeah. conference YouTube is is terrible. Sorry, is is the siren really loud? I'm in San Francisco. I don't hear it. Um, all right. Uh, the media conference YouTube is terrible and uh, you should build your own following because that's the only thing that's going to last with you for the rest of your life. Um, so all you should rehost aggressively all your talks on your own channels. <laughs> so where you upload them natively. Yeah. I, I, for a long time, I still, I'm looking for it right now. I have a, a playlist of my talks and conferences that link to the other places that they originally are hosted. So I don't yes. have to, I don't download rehost them, but yes, I'll, that's fine. If, yeah. The only problem there is not everything is YouTube. And so sometimes yeah. I do have to figure yeah. out a way to, you know, get it on here. I will up, re-upload some of them. Yeah, YouTube DL. Yeah, Lifesaver. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's obviously the friendlier approach, which is the, the playlist strategy. Um, but I like the more I do this, the more I don't care about anyone else's YouTube and I just care about my own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not that like I'm actually taking YouTube seriously. I'm just like, look... People, people who are fans of your work, they subscribe to you. They put the notifications on. If you put stuff in a the playlist, they're not going to see it. That's true. Yeah. So just stick it on your own YouTube, and and you know, it, it, like it's your video. Like you, you know, you did the work during the, during the speech. Um, I, I don't I mean, know if any I don't know if any conferences against you taking the video and putting it on your own channel. I I do sometimes feel bad about it, but also like it's no one watches conference videos. Like no one goes to the conference talk sites, uh, except for like the like really, really large conference conferences. Yeah. Like you'll get, you know, hundreds of people when they had tens of thousands of people come. Yeah. Um, but percentage wise, I mean, you're, you're looking at single digits percent at, at best. Yeah. 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 You know, and yes, this is not a numbers game as far as your own personal channels go. But again, it's for the super fans. It's for the people who happen to, to like go, you know, I want to I want to consume everything this guy does. Uh, that's that's what you want to nurture. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely put some effort towards that. Like numbers is not everything for me, you know. Um, uh, and by the way, I also do this for podcasts. Every podcast appearance I'm on, um, I'm going to be hosted on my own podcast feed. <laughs> you, wait, you have you have like a personal podcast? 
like yeah, a dude. feed just of your podcast yeah mixtape mixtaped.six.io every day how did i not know this i well I, i'd seen your mixtape but i didn't realize you were republishing podcasts uh i do it so i don't want to get too aggressive with it so i only do it on weekends uh, so I call it okay. I call it weekend drops. So during the day, uh, during weekdays, I do clips, like ten minute clips, of stuff I liked and want to comment on. And then weekends, I'll do Twitter Spaces rehosting, podcast appearance rehosting, anything like that. I have a, I have a huge pipeline of stuff, so I never run out. Do you put your talks on the podcast, like videos, into audio format and just publish them too? I don't do that right now, but if I were a bigger YouTuber, yes, I would. Um. Because, and I've seen people do this, like even if they're talking about stuff on screen, people, I listen to it because I'm skimming, right? A a podcast doesn't have to be a whole asset in in and of itself. It can just be a skim mechanism where people are just going, all right, you know, I'm driving, I'm like doing the dishes, I'm doing, uh, you know, mowing the lawn or whatever. Uh, I'm going to put this podcast on. And if it sounds interesting, I'm going to note the timestamp or whatever. I note the video I'm I'm listening to and then go, go look up the video. Um, so like th- that's, there's a theoretical way that this makes sense for uh, just hosting audio feeds of videos, even if the content is very video centric, uh-huh. but it has to be cheap. Like if it's like a big lift for you to do this, then it doesn't make sense. Of course, like no, like reality, the reality is like three people are going to do that. Right. Like it's, it's not, this is, this is not at all scalable. Um, so one thing I, I do want to eventually try to do is try to build like a, youtube podcast host bot that just like does that for you and just just publishes it to a feed um because um are you doing this manually on twitter Did i cut know oh we're I, i've reached my time limit on twitter so um twitter always does that <laughs> when I'm on that space obviously because nice. i'm spending more, more time than i normally do um Good for you. Good for you having a time over. Trying. Actually. Everyone that tries, is, but then you hit the. You, that is, I no, yeah, I yeah. gave up. I. <laughs> so I want to. I want to actually do like a Twitter, uh, a, a custom Twitter client where like you have to donate money to get to buy more Twitter time, or you have to do a chore. You have to like do five push-ups. You have to do the dishes. You you have to do something that you've committed to to earn more Twitter time. It's basically parental controls for yourself. Yeah, I can see that. I, I, I've seen people do that with their kids, where it's like, if you want screen time, you get, you know, you get ten minutes if you clean the car. Yeah. You get twenty minutes if you do yeah. the dishes. If it's good and, enough for your kids, why not do it yourself? <laughs> yeah, that's that's your that's your currency right there. But wait, uh, I was asking, do you do this yourself? Do you do you republish all these things yourself, like manually? You're going, to, you know, YouTube download. You're yes. manually uploading it, or do you have automation? No, right I don't have automation right now. I've just become very good at it. That seems like a lot of work. Nah, it's just a, a couple of strings you copy and paste around. I have it in my snippets thing, so I just paste it in. Uh, and, and you just, uh, I just went from your site, your personal site over to your YouTube channel. And you did the, you did the question mark sub confirm one. So good job. Um. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I know that trick. And that got me. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I, you know, I, I really should be bigger on YouTube. I don't know. I just, the problem with YouTube is just to do well on YouTube, you have to be interesting all the time. And I'm just so chill. Like, <laughs> I don't have, a, I don't have a hot take most of the time, you know? Um, anyway. Uh, yeah. So have you, have you seen, um, repurpose.io? 
No, uh, I'm sure. If, yeah, I'm sure it's. Uh... It's. It is mainly for automating videos from one site to another, but they also have a way to go from video to podcast and they'll publish into a podcast feed. Um, so you were making me think mm-hmm. of that where I was trying, I was trying it to go from basically re- republishing uh, TikToks to YouTube shorts to LinkedIn to they go all the short sites and you can have it pull out clips. You can have it do the full video, um, which obviously if you're going to a short site or a short form video site, it depends what you can do and you can't do things like, you know, integrated text or subtitles and that sort of stuff, which a lot of those platforms really kind of require I'm finding. Um, but for some things, like if I have, if I'm publishing to Twitter or to LinkedIn, they don't care about any of that stuff uh, because it's just followers. And so I embed all the text in the video itself and then I'll let those republish. But yeah, they do have an option to go directly to a podcast feed. Oh, okay. That's interesting. The, the app's a little bit, uh, seems like it was developed by one or two people. <laughs> oh, okay. <All laughs> there's, right. there's some of those bugs in there that's still working out things, but it's been growing and I was trying it for a couple of times. So I was like, okay, let me see. I, I did, you know, a handful of videos through it. And I was like, I could see where this could go and be really useful for some things. Um, yeah. and just take away some of that. Cause you can just dump things in a, in a Google drive as well. Just dump your videos there and have them go out on the schedule. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, so this is all repurpose.io? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I should uh, check this out. I mean, you know, I keep complaining about this and I need to try the tooling before I build my own, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, don't be such a developer. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> Not invented here. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, that's the, you know, I, I guess that's my post-conference or post-podcast or post-Twitter space uh, standard operating procedure. You know, I always, always try to close the loop, you know? Um. Yeah, think it think it makes sense for a conference strategy. I just realized <laughs> your talks are in YAML. Why would you do that? <laughs> What's the? I mean, you like JSON? Like you like Toml? Like what? I would. Just, I, I assumed read means. I assume that you would be able to. I'd be able to read it like rendered. But no, it's, it makes sense now. Oh no no no! It, it's rent. It's rendered on my site. Oh okay okay. <laughs> yeah, this is input. Yeah. Oh I, okay. I, I didn't. I was. I was looking. Uh, in the GitHub, not on yours. Yeah. No, this this goes... This I, I want to make it searchable. I want to make it... like I want to add filters and stuff. Uh, there's lots of things I want to do that I haven't done, but I know that I have to just record the data in the in the format that I would like to present in the future. Yeah. So this is, you know, uh, premature <laughs> schema design. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> you know, the world hates unstructured data, right? You have to structure <laughs> your data... <laughs> Did you ever see the? Uh, this is like a kind of a side note. Um, so I, I've been, I, I just gave a talk on like why I think data engineering is is a big deal and you know why I'm getting involved and so on and so forth. Um, I, uh, I I've been very impressed by Mark Porter from MongoDB. I don't know if you've like come across this guy. Uh-uh. He used to be the general manager of RDS. Okay. So he's Mister SQL of AWS, right? Like he 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 owns SQL. Um, and what he, what this guy does is he defects to become CTO of MongoDB and starts going to AWS reInvent and saying SQL doesn't scale. That's that is uh, there's a lot of weight behind that. Why? <laughs> how? What? Who? Who's letting him do this? Why is <laughs> why is this not a bigger deal? What the what the hell? <laughs> And I, like, I agree, but also, 
<laughs> at what point do people need it to like how much do you need it to scale and you ran rds <laughs> no no I mean, like at rds like at rds size like yeah like it this stuff is, is making sense but like right now i mean most companies i ever talked to like sequels fine and <laughs> and even their like projections of like how big they'll grow like postgres is going to just be fine for them um I understand like the data is growing faster and faster though. And so I'm curious where that tipping point is of just like, Oh, all of our models for how, how much we thought we were going to grow just don't make any sense anymore. Yeah. Uh, yes. That, that is also a thing. So uh, he, he did a reinvent last year and he presented a slide, which I thought was very impressive. It, it's, it comes from IDC and basically shows the, the chart in uh, I think it was, it wasn't exabytes. It was uh, YouTube Mark Porter uh, reinvent. Um, I have the timestamp saved in my browser because I keep coming back to this. <laughs> it was in zettabytes. Um, so I, I guess I could just pin this to 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 the space as well. Let me let me just paste it. Um, do you know what zettabyte? I don't I don't know what a zettabyte is. I, I guess that's like thousands of exabytes. Um, I don't know. I, I, I it's, it's a scale. I don't, I don't know how to comprehend the sale. Okay, I'm gonna pin it to the, to, to the space for anyone to follow along. But uh, yeah, I timestamped it. So um, he has, uh, structured data at 36 zettabytes in 2025, um, and then he has unstructured at 182. So, um, what is that? Like 182 divided by 36. That is five times more unstructured data than structured. I'm just trying to wrap my head around that. Like, what, like it is 2022 right now. Yeah, so and, it's pretty close. Like, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, he, I guess I guess that's gonna happen before flying cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, he has he has data doubling like I think every three and a half years, something like that. So so you can you can think about this in terms of doubling factor, because um, it, it's a pretty consistent growth growth curve. Yeah. Okay. Then I can see if that's if that's the case that many companies are under getting that much data. Then yeah, they're gonna have to move off. And right. At yeah. least at least think about how to. And then like, what's the impl implication of that? Right. Once your once your data is unstructured, uh, you have to move that logic into the applications. Um, or or not just query it and then move logic you know you, you take the results of the query and then move and then move that uh, well i mean raw, like raw data. in in some cases that just means more data on the wire right because you're just yeah. like oh give me more stuff and that's where it's like is graphql the answer it's like uh, uh, maybe not um you know, is that... <laughs> <laughs> it, even if like people will probably go that route of like oh i can reduce you know how much is being sent on the wire by sending my query still in unstructured backends <laughs> i don't know now i'm just thinking about it. like where where does that move because the data has to be queryable the data has to be usable yeah so i mean uh, i think the i think the solution has already been figured out it's redshift and snowflake right and bigquery um those are the it, it's it's it, you know it's a pipeline from like the big big warehouses to the smaller you know operational databases and ultimately to the, to the end, end user um yeah, that's where it goes. Oh. <laughs> anyway, I just um, 
that's kind of a sidetrack for conferences. But I, I do like that, that 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 conference as a conference tip, just consistently wowing the user, the the audience member with more data and better facts uh, that they construct a story. Um, that's essentially what I did this this conference that I just went to. And people kind of don't care how you deliver that fact. Just have a good enough fact um, that, that makes people go, did you know? And, oh, my God, like, I, I don't understand the scale of this. Um, so, yeah. Is is the world of talks and DevRel just coming down to a hook? Like, is that the, like, <laughs> you have to get the attention somehow and, and the hook is the way to do it? Yeah, yeah you know, um, well... Uh, well, we can talk about that. I, 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 I did just talk to another friend about, you know, designing the emotional journey of a conference. Like, pe- again, people remember, don't remember what you said, but they remember how you made them feel. That's meant to be more of a be nice to people type of advice. But really, it's also about the wow moment for whatever technology you're presenting, right? Um, so how do you design for the emotional journey? You have a good start that makes them not click away because again, most of your vi- users, most of your viewers are going to be on YouTube and the competition is to click away. Um, you have a emotional peak in the, in, in, you know, in the 10 to 25 minutes that you're presenting and then you end strong with some call to action or just some, uh, you know, so, some twist that sort of wraps it up nicely, uh, like a confidence ending rather than like a, Oh, we're out of time ending. Um, and like everything else kind of just fades away, you know, if you if you just just nail those three points in the talk, that's that's kind of it. <laughs> you, to that to that point, do you take questions at the end of your talks? I always find that's a, rarely. Yeah, most I, conferences t- don't even let let you do that. So, uh, I'm I've been going to conferences that force me to do it, oh, and okay. I keep asking them no, like I don't want to do questions. Like I'll be around. Like come ask me, and and that's harder for virtual, but um, at the same time, like I'm available online in many different ways and so yeah. I, I always find that anytime i end a talk with questions the talk doesn't isn't as well received as if i just end it with whatever i wanted to say last right right because questions are weak ending um, yeah it's the worst so yeah i, I would say I, I think that is conventional wisdom right now that you try not to take questions um you know there's there's the effect of People asking, uh, you know, not a question, more of a comment type of type of people standing up and <laughs> inserting themselves in your talk. Um, and then there's the, there's the question of the emotional design, right? At the end of the day, I kind of don't care because, again, like if I'm going to snip it to my YouTube anyway, I'm just cut out the questions. Um, so it's just a it's just for the benefit of the audience people, you know, just um, having more access to you. You're giving them a benefit of being live instead of watching a, a pre-recorded video, right? Um, and part of that is audience response and, uh, whether that's during your talk or after, um, I, I do like doing things where like, it's only possible in that medium. Like it's, it's, it's enabled by that medium. And so part of that is in- involving the audience somehow. How about fireside chats? Like I find that as like a, a mix of, I mean, that is mostly questions. Mostly rattles. Yeah. Um, no, um, I think, I think it's worth it if the person is extremely accomplished and that's the only way you get to hear from them. Right. Cause like, it's usually about the access, like fireside chat to some industry legends, um, which, which is the, the whole value proposition is they'll come and they don't have to prepare. You do all the prep, uh, in terms of like the questions that, that come in. Right. 
Um, so I think that's really good. But if you do a fireside chat with someone who's available all the time, then mostly they're just going to rehash their standard talking points and you're not going to get very much value out of the existing fireside chat. So it has to be someone who is like just so hard to get. <laughs> because that, like, that, that is a very low effort form of medium. Yeah. Um, Uh, what else? What else is on your mind? What um... I, I'm just like, what, what's your what's did you did you build your site from scratch? I'm looking at like it's a, it has a good layout for like everything that oh it's a, it's stolen from Lee Rob uh, who runs uh, Devrelet Versel um, and then I formatted it to my own kit. You can clone my kit. It's called Swix Kit. Uh, it's on GitHub. Okay. I'll, I'll uh, find it for you. Um, yeah. So I intentionally made a clonable version of my site, uh, basically to promotes the community that I'm in. Uh, I do want to eventually... Uh, so one, one of the interesting design decisions that I did, uh, it takes in YAML, but it also takes in GitHub issues as my CMS. Because GitHub issues is the best CMS that I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> it's free. It comes with a good mobile editor. Um, you can paste in images. You don't have to do any like random crappy upload of files, like save to file, upload file, all that, all that stuff. No, you just paste in the image. It works, and it comes to the off system and comment layer. So like everyone already knows how to use GitHub, especially if you're speaking to a developer audience. Imagine people being able to subscribe to your individual blog posts within GitHub, and whenever you someone adds a comment, they get the notification in GitHub. Um, that's just such a lightweight way to add. Uh, to 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 follow individual posts or your whole blog up to you up to them, and it's just such a nice uh, way to do it. So I've moved to GitHub Issues as my CMS. Hmm. You're making some compelling points here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a I have a fuller point um, in that thing I just uh, added to the jumbotron. So yeah, GitHub Issues, emoji reactions, images, comment support. What else? Um, Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, oh, it looks like I broke my own URL. GitHub issues is comments. Okay. It should be easy and fast to update, no longer flaky build process. Uh, that is, that's another thing, like, you know, people using Markdown, you'd have to, like, push to Git and all that. Um, even that's too long to edit stuff. I Like, I want edits to be, like, Oh, I noticed a typo here. I'm going to go into the GitHub issue, fix it, and then have it immediately be updated. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've yeah. always liked the you know, static site generators, but I also need, sometimes need it from my phone. And exactly. once I'm like, oh, I need to edit this thing, and, yeah. and modifying the, the markdown from my phone is just miserable. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, so GitHub has invested a lot in that. You might as well use that. And everyone knows like use GitHub, so huh. good idea. Uh, back to conferences. When you're looking for conferences to speak at, or or gonna submit a CFP, I'm assuming you still have to do that. I know some people are are have transcended beyond CFPs. <laughs> um, I I am definitely not in that realm. Uh, but what are you looking for? What are you trying to you know? Yeah. What sort of conferences or or talks are you looking for? Um. So I actually mostly do invite only now. Um, so yes, I am that 
douchey guy that doesn't do CFPs anymore. Uh, but I do have CFP advice. I've, I'm, I'm linking it in the chat now. Uh, that's a separate blog post called CFP advice. Um, and mostly, I think CFP, um, I think when you're starting out, you just want to get speaking experience, right? Um, and then, like, any experience matters. Like, it, it, it doesn't really matter. Like, you just want to get a, a bunch of bad talks out of the way just to, to, to start getting experience, seeing what works, seeing other people speak, um, getting the conference vibe. Um, and then once you're, once you're done with that basic stuff, like you want to try to target for network and then you want to try to target for, let's just call it prestige. Um, because I think the marginal utility of an extra talk after let's say five talks per year is very low. Um, so like, would you, would you want to do 50 kind of okay talks? Or do you want to do five talks, five good talks a year? I'd rather take the five good talks. Um, and to, you know, spend all the extra time on you know family, personal life, and making making those talks better. Um, so yeah, identifying talks, I guess. Uh, identifying conferences to submit to. Um, there there are a couple of accounts that do conference. They they sort of highlight upcoming CFPs. Mm -hmm. It's Global Diversity CFP GD CFP Day on Twitter. There's the Devrel Avocados Twitter account. And then there's there used to be CFP dot CFP lands, but I think they've uh, they've gone inactive. Let me check CFP land. Uh, yeah, it looks like they're oh yeah yeah they they uh, they stopped updating in 2021. So yeah, now there's only two resources, I guess. Um, and then more importantly, you know the the a lot of these conferences are going to be random. Like if the site exists solely to notify your CFPs. They are probably like generalist type conferences where like the topic is like agile, um, <laughs> and like you know if you're not an agile coach, then you're gonna be really scraping the bottom of the barrel there. Um, but like you know for your technology, for your uh, language, for your uh, vertical, there's card conferences for all of them. Um, so trying to uh, keep note of when they are in the calendar and and be up uh, up to speed whenever they launch the CFP. Yeah. When do you say no to a, since you're doing mostly invites, when are you saying no thanks? Um, mostly when I can't make the, the dates work. And then if I have like nothing particularly interesting to say to that audience, I'll just say no for now. Um, and this happens, this, this does happen. Like sometimes I'll, I'll get a good conference I'd like. I just got nothing to say to that audience. I, and I'll, the only thing I'll, I'll just say is like, you know, uh, keep me in the pocket for next year and um and i think the speakers uh, organizers appreciate that like you know they, they took a risk reaching out to you to invite you um and by turning it down you're kind of being respectful and saying like i i don't have a good talk for you right now but i i, I still like you I, I still would speak for you i just you know i'll, I'll come back next year and, and when i come to your conference it will be a good one you know that's what they want to hear because then they can spend that speaker slot on someone else yeah do you ever help them find another speaker? Oh, yeah, or? all the time. Yeah, yeah, I think that that is something that, especially like, you know, um, guys like us can can extend our privilege by saying, like, all right, you know, I'm very visible, blah, blah, blah. But like, there's like underrepresented people that are up and coming. They're really good. You should consider this list, list of names that would do a better job than I can. Um, and yeah, I, I, I love doing that. Yeah, I think I've done that more often where... I was like, hey, I looked at your lineup and it mostly is people that look like me. 
let me find you some people that don't look like me. And, and I don't, you know, like, let's, I don't want to put them, you know, on the spot either. So trying to exactly. like, I DM them and say, Hey, just so you know, this is a situation. Would you be interested if, you know, to extend this invite over to you or if you have some interest? Cause I'm not, I, I hate it when someone's like, Hey, here's an intro. And I'm like, I didn't ask for this. Like <laughs> what's going on? Like, give me some context. Um, yeah. And so yeah. I try to, yeah. And, and the, but the endorsement from you matters because these conference organizers, like, you know, they got their hands full organizing the thing. And sometimes like, <laughs> you know, reaching out to, to, to invite speakers is kind of last on the agenda and they, their own networks aren't that strong either. So, yeah, you're actually doing them a, a huge favor, um, you know, in, in, in recommending other speakers. So, yeah, I, I totally, I love I loved doing that. That's a great tip. Um, the, I, I do have, like, other, well, another one, which is, like, just to be a good conference attendee. Um, I, I, I think I vary on this, but I try to model it, which is, like, you know, sit in front um be be a vocal advocate for other speakers you know don't don't kind of soup and poop and then and then walk off <laughs> once your once your talk is done you know so um i i, I like that that this is not advice from me and this is this advice comes from someone else i don't actually remember um who tweeted this but it was a tweet that um i thought was solid advice like you want to be a model conference member you're part of the conference team if you're speaking and you want to you want to set the vibe for what what the culture of the conference is you know um how many, if I go to a conference, most of the time I'm only going like into a talk if I know the speaker and I'm supporting the speaker. And in those cases, I'm, I'm absolutely upfront. I'm live tweeting. I'm, you know, trying to stay engaged in, to help them yeah. just, just get the word out more about what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, how many talks are you typically going to at a conference though? Are you yeah, saying in the hallway? No, exactly. There's a lot of hallway stuff. Yeah. So I think you do what you can essentially. <laughs> right. And when I think like, when I was when I was starting out in tech and in, in development, like I went to all the talks. I was like, I need to learn from everyone, and <laughs> and and then finding that like I there was a lot a lot of more senior people that stayed in the hallway, mm -hmm. and then that's where I started learning more, and and then just becoming more more vigilant about like these are the talks I want to go to, but if someone's in the hallway, I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to go see the talk because I know it's recorded, and I was always I was always very good actually about setting myself up for watching the recordings later if I knew they were going to drop and I would schedule calendar appointments for myself watch this talk and yeah. I would I would set that up as like a meeting for myself this that all the talks are available you said you wanted to go see this three months ago if you still <laughs> want to go see it you, now is the time you have scheduled it and now is the time to watch it um and, and that you, gave me you a realize balance. you realize you're more disciplined than most <laughs> absolutely i absolutely do know that um it was a it was an idea i had a long time ago of actually making that as an app for people to say like hey yeah. link your link your calendar and your youtube and we will scrape your watch later and we will schedule we will find meeting appointments we will find slots on your day you can tell us when and we will schedule it for you and you just here you go play it in the background watch it whatever and it just puts it on there so if, if they decline it cool we'll bounce it for next week we'll do it another time we'll find another slot for you to watch your watch later list um but then also we, you could recommend, hey, you like this Node.js talk. There's a really popular Node.js talk over here or, or video. Like maybe, you're, maybe you're interested in that one. And actually getting things, like the calendar is still so sacred for everyone, for so many people, yeah. um, that if you get on the calendar, like a lot of people are just like, well, I have to do this now. It's on the calendar. 
And, and that I think could help people be more disciplined and grow in a lot of ways where that's like, Oh, I, I never had time for this, but actually I did have time. I just was in Slack for the hour instead of watching a video that I really wanted to, right? Like it just goes away. You're just in Slack and you're like, Oh, I forgot. <laughs> I'm, I, I mostly I'm working on trying to substitute, you know, YouTube, my YouTube watch list for my Netflix queue, you know? Uh, so yeah, lunch, lunch, lunch hours are entirely reserved for catching up on talks. Um, and I, I really resonate with your point about how calendars are sacred for most people. So yeah, that is called time block planning. And I have a whole thread about your calendar as a to-do list, like to-do lists disembodied of specific times in which to do the to-dos just build up and then you get depressed and then you start over from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, and your calendar is the only to-do list with a 100% completion rate because time doesn't wait for you. It, I mean, the other thing with that too is I don't know about where you're at now, but like at Amazon, we have uh, the broadcast internal YouTube basically. And my first month at Amazon, I spent days going through broadcast and finding old talks from like 2005 of like this is this is the original how amazon s3 was designed i'm like this is amazing i love those talks and it was the people that were originally building it and then i just there's you know watch later list for the internal system and i just started bookmarking all of them i'm like i want to watch this later and then i started once a week going through i just bookmarked you know a hundred of them and then every week i'm like okay this is my time to go watch an old broadcast video and i'd do some work i'd you know do some more mindless things um, but I was really adamant about like, if, if I had to leave Amazon today, what would I be sad? I didn't learn more about yeah, yeah. And, and those are the things that I try to spend time with. And is if I have, if it's, I want to talk to more people, I want to meet more people. I want to learn about certain things. Like I always kind of try to keep that mindset of like, if I was leaving today, what would I be sad that I did not learn? And, and for me, it's like the hiring process we have is, is I think actually really good. Like the hiring system of, um, reviews and everything else after we go through interviews the pr facts and writing i think is like a skill set that a lot of people you don't get anywhere else and then just the history of how things are run and built at this scale are like kind of the things that i focus on a lot of just like how does amazon scale hiring people uh working with documentation and spreading knowledge and then just the history of it all yeah um yeah i i I wish i did more of that i definitely regret not doing that at Amazon when I was there. Uh, I was, I was, you know, I was only there for a year, so uh, and I didn't have much time. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a request actually. If you would like to uh, search for internal documents that might be shareable, um, so the six pager that started AWS is somewhere in there. Would you like to read that? <laughs> yeah, no, actually, the the very one of the first things I did when I found the COE, the correction of error. Uh, yeah, yeah. was yeah. I looked up the big days that I was working on Amazon and something went down and I was like what Ooh. happened uh, that was really fun those were really enlightening because it was just like oh I, I was working when Disney Plus launched and and what was that thing that might have happened and and looking back <laughs> at all those like incidents that I remember from you know either large outages or outages that impacted me and I could look up the details of it those were really fascinating one thing that someone recently asked me about was the um uh, Amazon Connections app that we have that does a, a daily survey. Um, I, yeah, I love that. That should be outsourced somehow. Okay, exactly. That that's, it, it came up in another space and then people were asking me about it. And yeah. I was like, you know, there's actually, there's nothing written about this. Like it's mentioned a couple places and, and it, I think it's actually very valuable as like a way to get anonymized feedback from your employees and 
having that feedback shared back to the employees itself because once a month management sees it and we report back to it and the management shares hey this is the out this is how many people answered they're satisfied with their manager right now yep and and then you know like oh it's not just me or or it is you know it is just me and like that actually helps to get that sort of like quantified over time numbers of just like oh okay this is cool and and seeing how management reacts to that has also been good where it's like oh hey we saw people said operational burden was going up so we're not shipping these features until operational burden goes down and and that's really nice to see just like the outcomes of those things as well yeah um yeah yeah i would write that up this is i mean i i think it's flattering for amazon and yeah I, i would i would try to write that up um, yeah, I never, um, we have, I, I use 15.5 in my company. Have you come across 15.5? Uh-uh. So, uh, it's a, it's also a surveying tool. It's once a week, not daily. Um, and it checks, it has a pulse on like the, the person's morale and then ask them specific questions that get randomly rotated, uh, kind of like Amazon's connections, but I don't think it has uh, as complete of a questions list. I almost think like the the real meat of it is like just really good questions that open up the conversation a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, for for one on ones and stuff. Um. So yeah, I really you know I I I have that on every everyone that reports to me, and then I go through them and I bring it up in in one on ones if uh, if something is something's up. I think it's just a fundamental way of making up for what we lost by going remote uh, in terms of person to person connection. You know. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, so another context about 15.5 is that is the management philosophy of uh, Yvonne Chonard, who is the founder of Patagonia. Um, So he's Hmm. famous for a couple of things. One, he's famous for four-day work weeks during summer, uh, where he wants the whole company to just take off to surf and be outdoors because it's, it's, I mean, he runs runs Patagonia. Two, he takes two to three months off sometimes to just go surfing himself. Um, and the way he runs the company doing that is he has everyone do a 15-5 report, 15 minutes to write, five minutes to read, and it rolls up through the company hierarchically. So every single individual contributor does 15-5 for their manager, manager writes 15-5 for their, their manager, all the way up to him. And so he spends, you know, a, a day reading like every report in the company, uh, and he, he knows what's going on. You're muted. <laughs> yeah, sorry, there was again. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I wrote it up because, I, I, like, I heard about this practice from multiple people, including personal mentors of mine, and I was like, okay, this is this is a thing. This is time tested. I don't need to think about this more. I just need to do it. Yeah. Uh, so there's some point at which I stop. I just suspend belief, suspend critical thought, and just go. Smarter people than me have figured this out. I'm just going to do it. Uh, is, and is I would 15... say I would say it's worked for my team. Yeah, the morale morals up. Like, yeah, we we're actually talking about real issues. You said that every day it gives you like a couple every week, like every week. Okay. Yeah, one someone was asking about the Amazon connections and and like, wow, what asks you all these questions every day? I was like, no, it's one multiple choice every day, yep. and and it's it's pretty low low effort to like I click on that one, and and there's even like. Um, documentation about like you know questions are rotated they're random per person they have them in all these different languages you can suggest questions um which is which is kind of nice because you can localize them to a team or a a group or even a a role to say like oh everyone that's a dev you know in devrel should get this type of question not that other one um so you can kind of balance some of that stuff out too Um, but it is it always is kind of designed to be 
uh, high, medium, low sort of multiple choice. So you don't yeah. have to think about it too much. Yeah. Yeah. Temperature check. Yeah. And yep. being able to say, no, thanks. I'm not going to answer this question is, is actually kind of nice too, where it's just like, <laughs> Oh, I know. I, I just either, I don't want to snooze it. I'll ask me later, or I'm just going to skip today's question. Nice. Yeah. Oh, skip too much. So yeah. I feel like one predictor of whether an employee is going to quit is if they skip too much. Uh, if they, you know, their, 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 their volume in Slack goes down significantly and I feel like you could build this tool, but also I feel like you couldn't market it because it would be super dystopian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, it's well within your rights to build the tool. Uh, that, that actually <laughs> reminds me, like, is there a tool? I know, I know Slack already gives you all that reporting, right? Of like, not on an individual basis, but they could, they could, yeah. right? Like you yeah, could in, not only could you have like, Hey, these, this people, this person dropped in Slack by 20% <laughs> this month. Um, which would be just weird. Uh, but also like, I would almost like to say, Hey, give this person a quota. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I, maybe I talk too much like percentage wise on the team. Like, am I oh, talking yeah, yeah, more yeah, yeah, than yeah, yeah. everyone yeah. else? And that ratio of how much I'm saying yes. things and how much other people like, maybe that's just not the way they engage, but there should be some level of like, don't let me overpower a room. Um, yes. of like, oh, I sent all the links and then, you know, it just drives people away. It makes them crazy and then the room's not useful for anyone else. And yeah. so uh, back to your idea of like, make me do some chores, right? Like <laughs> I, have to, I have to merge two PRs before I can send another five messages or something. Like give me some sort of uh, ratio there of, of like, hey, actually, you know what? Like leave some space for some other people and, and, and just turn off Slack for a little while. Yes, yes, I, I, I do think that that is a thing. Uh, I, I, I don't know if anyone's building that. I think, I think people have built that for uh, calls, like Zoom calls or Chime calls. Mm. Uh, I'm sorry, you have, you see, do you still use Chime internally? Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> all my like when I was interviewing with Amazon, all the calls were Chime, and like they were everyone's apologetic. They were, they were like, oh, yeah, we, "We have to do this." Like, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's great. Like, I, I there was like a couple of features I liked, maybe. Um, <laughs> It's just bizarre. Um, anyway, so um, what was I going to say? So Zoom calls. Yeah. Um, one of my worst meetings in a previous company where it was where like the weekly status meeting, my boss would spend 95% of the, t percent of the time, like have, you know, possession of the mic for 95% of the time. Uh -huh. And then at the end, he would he would go like, all right, does anyone else have any things to add? And it just felt like we we're just being lectured at and it wasn't a team it was like a di dictatorship and uh yeah that, I, I left that team very very quickly yeah. um <laughs> so i endeavor not to do that to do that and uh, yeah you, you definitely could if you were running a company you know try to impose some kind of limit on how much your managers should dominate the airwaves um and i, I yeah I, I do think that transcends uh transcends to slack as well i i think like there's there's a certain slack pollution so for example like my company is growing from like let's say tripling in one year right that means triple the amount of slack messages if assuming standard engagement triple amount of reading time and that slows down the company so what's the cap on slack reading time i don't think anyone's measuring that <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah just like it at some point you just have to give up, right? You can't be a completionist. Yeah. You have to just, uh, what's the, the shift escape, um, to mark all as red. <laughs> like that's the thing you have to do to just like, ah, you know, I can't, I can't catch up with this. There's too many. So it's, I, I read the important three or four channels and 
everything else just kind of is not important or someone should have tagged me. <laughs> yeah, but everyone makes their own channel that they think is important, right? Yeah. Like, so, so if you, yeah, so I don't think that is like the solve because you end up missing stuff that you, that you should have read, but you just didn't know about it. Or in my case, just too burned out to care. <laughs> um, should, should we, uh, does anyone like putting out their hands? I, I, I don't really know, but I don't know if we should like open this up. Yeah, I mean, so I think anyone can request a, a speaker oh. if they if they want to jump up or have comments or questions. Um, yeah. It was not. I don't think it was locked. Um, travel and conference tips. What else do I got? I mean, we, we we can we can we can shift I'm, this guy. Well, well okay. Well, hang on, hang on. Um, I have I, I have just published one thing on DX Tips, which is my you know my DevRel magazine, um, and it's a conference tip, but it's for organizing conferences. You can talk about that. Sure. Uh, so this is non-fungible tickets. This is my newest thesis for conference organization, and it, it is inspired by Vercel. Have you seen the the new verse, the Next.js conf that uh, tickets that went out today? No, I didn't. I saw Next.js news, but I did not see the tickets. Yeah, yeah. Let me try to pull up. Uh, let's see. Like, I'll pin like the Vercel um, announcement. I don't. I know th- oh, this is not the right one. Um, so next year, uh, Vercel has a strategy where they'll print custom tickets for every single registrant. Um, and people love sharing that because their face is on it. And you get a position, you get a, like a number, like a ticket number that corresponds to where you are in, in the rankings, right? So the earlier you are, the, the smaller your number. Um, and I just think it's genius because it's optimizing for people to sign up and spread the conference through word of mouth. Because an online conference should not be run the same way as an offline conference. And this is the first online native strategy that is really, really working. Hmm. Their, the first Vercel conference that they organized had 3,888 um, registrations. The first time they adopted the ticket, they went to 70,000. Uh, so <laughs> they twenty x <laughs> their registrations oh. <laughs> by giving you a ticket. So I call this non fungible token uh, tickets, meaning like they create a ticket just for you, uh, and it's artwork. Um, they really over invent. Um, do you know how many people? So they worked on the conference website. Sixteen people worked on that website. Wow, it is way more than anyone else yeah. ever puts on a conference landing page, because they have they have understood that the the hype for the conference is maybe 50% of the value of the conference. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, because that's... <laughs> like, there is, there is a lot going into that, right? Because it's like a lot of conferences have such late signups and they have people that are just like, oh, I guess I'll go. Yeah. Um, or, oh, I have, I have some... But like, you're, you're really encouraging people to like... Yeah, get just get more hyped about it, get more excited for it, and kind of make it more of a thing. Um, yeah, which yeah. is funny. This this reminds me of uh, the uh, for App Runner, a service we launched uh, two years ago. I created a an example app that gave everyone uh, unique avatars. Um, here's the so it was a, this simple little app that would generate an avatar. Um, based on the URL. And, mm. and so every time someone deployed the Hello World app, they got a unique avatar, but you couldn't see the avatar until you shared it, until a social, because it was those, you know, it was the uh, open graph picture. It wasn't on the site itself. It would only show uh, up on a, in tweets or LinkedIn or something oh, like that. Nice. And so, 
Um, that was, it, it reminded me of that because that was exactly what I was trying to do was like, get some people to share it and then have fun with it and enjoy like, Oh, this is, this was a neat little thing. Like, let me see how this works. And, um, you get that little picture, which I mean, now all the sites have been taken down, but the pictures are still cached. Uh, you know, Twitter still cached them. They're still, it's still available in a lot of cases. Um, no, the, the effort is still uh, live. I just clicked through. It's an, oh yeah. Yeah. Ellie turns up. Yep. Nice. So, but like a lot of people that were trying it, you know, like you get a lot of them, they'll be cash, they'll be in Twitter. Um, and then you go to it and it's down because someone's like, Oh, I was done playing with it. I, I deployed something else or whatever. Um, but yeah, for like my site still live, uh, people that, you know, deployed it that worked here, were still, it's still live. So, um, but I just Great made a simple, a, a simple single page and it was, I was trying to show off some of the like uniqueness of it where yeah. you get like a scratch space on disc. And so I can I just write the picture, the image to disc. It's something you don't get with the Lambda function, right? I'd have to send that to S3. I'd have to pull it and, and do that over and over again. I was like, actually, no, I just, I get multiple concurrency in after. So yeah, that was this, this uh, ticket idea totally reminds me of that. And it makes sense why it's it's a fun thing to do and a lot of people were you know day of or week of app runner launch were sharing it as well much to a you know lower degree than <laughs> a conference but that's it is neat how just like gamifying some of that uh makes it just yeah. a little more enticing so you know what this gives me the idea for um we should hook it up to dolly too or uh, a stable diffusion one of these like you know super trendy image generation apis or yeah, I mean, at that point you're gonna, you know, burn through all your credits. <laughs> but they have self-hosted ones, right? So you could self-host somewhere, yes. and then and then you're put paying in the for queue. just the yeah, yeah, yeah. Put it in a queue, and you get your uh, your unique image. Um, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how you would drive that. I wonder if you, like, cause I mean, what do you mean? If well, like, what would be the the text phrase to get it right? You have a random generator that gives you like a text, like a, a sentence URL. Yeah. Um, and then and then that sentence is your. Oh, oh. Uh, your use, image? Uh, use Amazon recognition, right, to, to, to deconstruct a photo that is sent in, right? Uh, get all the text and then, and then go, like, all right, give me, like, uh, different art styles. Give me, like, you know, so, so you have a bit of style transfer. So you have, like, you know, Studio Ghibli style or you mm -hmm. have, like, French Renaissance painting style. Yeah. You know, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> you, could, you, could, you could constrain the problem a little bit to, to, yeah. to make it easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I'm looking into this because I'm I've recently taken over my company conference, and and I have sold everyone on the idea that registrations are the only thing that matter, because <laughs> nothing else gets reported. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, for success of a conference, that makes sense, right? Like that's the thing that, um, in some cases, it's like we had this many registrants, this many attendees. Um, but Don't care. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, no, the registrations is, is really the, the thing of success, <laughs> which is like, to me, it's a little bit dark. It's like, I don't care who shows up. I just want to, I just want you to register. I don't even care if you show up. <laughs> yeah. I just want your email. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, that's what, that's my conference strategy right there. That's, that's my conference tip. <laughs> Um, yeah. And I've seen that. I mean, that's like that all ties back to the marketing numbers of it, right? Was this worth posting? And it's like, well, yeah, we had 20,000 people register. And it's like, oh, well, you know, was it good? Was was 20,000 the right number? And like, no one cares. Like, we had 20,000 people register. And that's the <laughs> that's the part that mattered. Yeah. And did it go up? Yeah. Um, so fun fact, Vercel's numbers don't go up, which is unusual. 
So uh, they've done four conferences. The, the second conference I told you about went to 70,000. The third conference went to 65,000. And the fourth conference is 70,000. So th th they've just launched the fifth one uh, today. So we'll see wh where the, the fifth one lands. Huh. But uh, it's not going up. It's weird. Is that like network saturation or is that? I think so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I just like, so, you know, for example, I would do tricks in my previous company, Temporal, like where every single prior, like if you ever register for anything ever, uh, for, for anything new, I would just re-register you unless you like specifically opted out. So I but would be able to boast bigger registration numbers. An automatic opt-in for registration. Like, hey, by the way, yeah. you registered in the past. Here's your free ticket. Yeah. Which, like, I think is ethical. And I mean, they can always opt out, right? And I'll respect that. But if they're just passively lurking, then they always have the, the choice to come on in. At that at that point, what's the? I mean, I know registration is the number, but why <laughs> why have people register at all, right? Right? Not why not just make it a free thing? Um, it's available on YouTube, and people just come, and then you just report the numbers of people that came. Yeah, I, I, I think to me, it just creates events. Like events have a special place in our brains, right? They're like, oh man, you know, I've I've like skipped the last five. Uh, events that these guys have been inviting me to. There's a six ones today. I got some free time. I'll come back in. Right. It's, it gives people time to re-engage. That centers around a point in time, and I and I do think like um, event heat, like hot and cold, matters. You cannot always be cold because there's a certain amount of people who just never do anything cold. Um, like if 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 I have this YouTube video available anytime any anytime I ever want to watch it, I'm just gonna leave it till later. And it, it's going to go in that pile of things that I will never watch because I, I keep leaving stuff to later. But if there's an event where people are gathering, where I can talk to someone live, talk to some peers live, that's interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's like shared experiences. That's uh, scarcity. That's all those pieces of our brains that make us think like, I have to do this now or I should do this now or this is the most important thing for me to do now. Yeah. Yeah, if, and if you have a ticket to something, um, doesn't matter what it is, you hold value in that ticket, right? To some degree. Like. <laughs> yeah. So th that's why I call this strategy non fungible tickets. Um, like I, I have the blog post. I have, I just haven't tweeted it out yet because I, I finished it right before we started this, this, uh, this call. But what I can do for as an exclusive for people in this space, I go just edit. Oh crap! Sorry, I added the wrong thing. Um, uh, I'll just add it to this Twitter space. But yeah. I don't know. Have you organized uh, a conference? I, I don't want to take up too much time talking about no, stuff. No, nothing like an actual, like I've done oh. meetups. I've done, you know, smaller like things, but never an actual conference. I'm helping a lot with our like presence for conferences like KubeCon and stuff, but mm, yeah, no, it's a, not organizing. Completely. I think you can do small ones. Yeah, you could do like an, an app runner conference, like whatever your your thing is, you know, currently. Um uh yeah, I, I just think it's such a great exercise in leverage leveraging up that like that skill set of event organizing and getting people together live and having conversations and having people, you know, tweet positive stuff about your events so you, you get known as an event organizer. Like it's just kind of like a hack. Like being a good event organizer makes up for a lot of things like you don't actually have to create a bunch of content if you are just a nexus for people to gather mm. and, and they bring their content. Yeah. 
and you're just like a trusted name with it. It just always puts on good events. I mean, to some degree, that's just like, uh, come join my, my discord, right? Cause you're just like, you're the discord host. Right. Um, and people like you because the discord community is good and they associate you with that thing that was created. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, discord is cold and, uh, you want, you want hot and cold. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know. Anyway, I feel like I'm 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 out of conference tips. <laughs> no, this is good. This was this was this was still a good time. Uh, I'm actually I need to go too. So uh, right, cool. I'm wrapping up my my week and uh, yeah. In the states, we get Monday off, so I'm having a three day weekend. Yeah. and uh, yeah, I'm gonna sit by the pool and, and read. Have Sounds weekend. good. Well, thanks uh, thanks everyone for joining. Uh, thanks Justin for for doing this. My my team's out. I'm the only one working today, so I'm the I'm the I'm the foolish one. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, it's good catching up. Yeah. Thanks everyone for coming. Have a good All weekend. Right. Thanks everyone. Bye-bye.